Real quick, let's give it up one more time for Pastor Leo, just leading a, a powerful time of prayer. I was like, man, he's preaching my message. If it's your first time, I want to welcome you here to joint prayer meeting. My name is Marcus Corpening. I'm one of the pastors at New Philadelphia Church, and it's uh, my honor and privilege to preach the word tonight. Man, tonight's already been powerful. Amen. I want you to just turn right now and just say hello to the person next to you real quick. Just hi. It's good to see you. I like your shirt. Okay, that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. That's enough. That's enough. I'm young. I just figured, you know, you guys were so deep in prayer. You didn't know who was sitting next to you. (laughs) If you're taking notes today, the title of this message is Carpe Diem. Carpe Diem. Who knows what Carpe Diem means? Okay, I'm just a little curious. Who knows who the vice president is of the United States? Most of y'all, as we found out last month, do not know. Some of you are thinking, like, why did he ask that? Last month, Pastor John Michael Becker, he preached a powerful message called The Power of the Arts. And so he went through these different slides. And the point he was trying to make is that we know people in the arts and entertainment. You know, we, everyone knows them. And, but I was more, I was like blessed and I was like mm, stirred up, but I was so grieved by this one part in the message where he showed a picture of Anne Hathaway. He was like, who knows who this is? And everyone's like, oh, that's Anne Hathaway, Anne Hathaway. And then the next picture was of the vice president of the United States, Joe Biden. Who knows who this is? And I've got my hand raised looking around like, are you serious? I know you. You have an American passport. Why do you not know that? (laughs) So I just wanted to see. I hope that didn't close your heart. If you still do not know who the vice president of the United States is. His name is Joe Biden. Carpe diem. We all know what that means. It means seize the day. And actually the term carpe diem came from a poem by the Roman poet Horace. You probably don't know who that is. Wikipedia it later. And it's the last sentence of this poem that he writes. And he writes, carpe diem. And carpe means to pluck. It means to pluck or to seize. And diem obviously means day. And so it literally means to seize the day or to pluck the day as it is ripe. You didn't know that. You just learned something. It means to pluck the day, to seize the day as it's ripe. And and some people use it more as like a, a term for... Yeah, like live your life to the fullest. Do reckless living, you know, YOLO. You only live once. But that's not actually what it means. It literally means that the future is predicated on how you live today. That the the future opportunities you have, the future blessings you have, the, the kind of future that you're going to have is predicated on the opportunities and the moments that you seize today. And that is a principle that we see not just simply from Horace, this Roman poet, but we see it throughout the Bible. 
that there's this aspect of the power of seizing a divine moment. I want to talk to you about that tonight because we can have our prayer meetings and we can pray and we can worship and we can intercede and we can do all those things. But there will come a day in which God will answer our prayers. We pray for North Korea and we say, God, won't you open up North Korea? We pray for human trafficking. God, won't you set these women free? We pray against abortion and suicide. Why don't you save these lives? But there shall come a day in which God will actually open up those doors. See, God listens to our prayers sometimes more than we do. God, just open up North Korea. Open up North Korea. I want those gates to be open right now in the name of Jesus. And God's like, I'm working on it. Amen. We go home. We feel real good. Yeah. Mm. That prayer meeting was powerful. But God's like, I'm working, I'm working, I'm working. And see, when we pray before God, a lot of times we don't know what we're praying for. Because God's going to actually answer those prayers. And it will be us sitting here in this room whom he will find responsible to be the feet to those prayers. To be the hands to those prayers. You know, it dawned on me. Last joint prayer meeting when we were praying for North Korea, because <laughs> I was praying, Lord, set North Korea free, bring the prisoners out. And then all of a sudden I could just feel the Holy Spirit whispering, OK, Marcus, I'm going to do it. But if I do it, are you going to be the first person in line to welcome them? <laughs> I literally stopped praying. I was like, that is a good question. Set free the captive God. Bring women out of human trafficking. Okay, I'll do it, Marcus. But are you willing to be the first one to step out and hug that former prostitute and restore her back to righteousness? Man, I I hate it when you ask questions, Jesus. (laughs) You know... The effectiveness of our Christian life is about our capacity and our ability to seize divine moments. And this prayer meeting is all about us preparing those moments. Those moments that we're meant to seize. When North Korea opens up. When human trafficking no longer exists. When those kids who had grown up in broken homes and were on the brink of suicide, yet by the power of the Holy Spirit, are brought back. God's like, are you going to be there to seize that moment? Well, how do we get there? You get there by learning how to do it now. Yeah, I know. I just talked about North Korea opening up and many of you felt overwhelmed. I felt overwhelmed saying it. (laughs) But when the time comes, God's going to look to you to be ready. And how does that happen? How do we get to that point where, well, it happens where we create a lifestyle of recognizing a divine moment? recognizing a divine opportunity, recognizing that God, when we pray, God looks to us actually sometimes to be the very answer to our own prayer. 
See, when Pastor Leo was up here talking about praying for the workers, for the harvest, I was like, oh, he's preaching my message. How does he know? And then God was like, he's got the Holy Spirit too. <laughs> See, when Jesus told them to pray, Jesus knew that the prayers they prayed, he, they were going to be the answers to their own prayer. Do you know it is very likely that you're going to be the answer to your own prayers tonight? I want you to think about this. I want you to take a moment. Say la. Salah. Thank you for the correction, brother. Because this is real. Christianity isn't about coming to a prayer meeting, praying some prayers that you think someone else is going to fulfill and then going home and going about your own career and your own life. No, what we do here is real. Christianity is a real thing. It impacts real lives. It has real destinies at stake. We cannot sit around and act like we're little kids and this is Sunday school and we're just working through it. No, God looks at us and he says, the prayers you pray are important. This is real. Jesus is coming back soon. You just heard it. You heard all the statistics. We know that by 2025, the tribulation is going to start. <laughs> I don't know why y'all clapping. I'm scared. <laughs> tribulation. Jesus is coming back. That is our hope as a believer. That is our hope. That is what we look forward to. And we are privileged to be a part of the generation that will usher in his return. I want you to think about it. I want you to think about what you're a part of. I just came here because I have to. I'm just here because I know a prayer meeting is the right thing to do. I'm here because I want to just be up here with worship with the lead singer of Starfield. (laughs) No, no, God sees it very differently. And he sees it as each prayer we're praying is headed towards something. And each thing that we do, it's headed towards something. And there are real results, real consequences, real actions that will be required. So we have to learn how to live a life that's missional. A life that seizes divine moments. I want you to open up your Bible to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to look at a very famous parable But this parable, it it sticks out because it's a clear picture of of people who who do not seize divine moments. Luke chapter 10. And we're going to look at verses 25 to 37. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. (laughs) I don't know what that is. That sounds like RoboCop just walked in. (laughs) 
Someone's got the audio Bible. I'm not going to tell you to get a print version. I just think you should have conviction by now. The parable of the Good Samaritan. And we're going to work through this together because this, I believe this, this parable is, you know, we've heard this parable before. Many of us, we, we hear it and the first thing we think about is, oh, every time I read this parable, I just want to go out and feed the homeless. You know, every time I, I hear this parable, I just want to go outside and just love on some kids. I just need to do something. But actually, I believe this parable is more about living a life that seizes the day. Learning how to live a life that seizes the moment that is put in front of you. Let's look at it. We'll read through. I'll read through some of it and then we'll go through all this. We'll work through it tonight together. And behold, a lawyer, underline lawyer, stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus, said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Let me pray for us before we continue. Father, we thank you for what has already been prayed tonight. We thank you, God, that your presence is here your spirit is here and your spirit is here, God, to awaken our hearts and minds, to awaken our hearts and minds to the call and destiny that you put upon our lives. And that, God, we are not useless, worthless, insignificant people who are gathered. We are your sons and daughters. And God, you have a plan and purpose for our lives and God, you desire to use us powerfully in the nations. And God, it is something, even as we sang, God, something that we are committed to doing. You are the one we live for. So God, as the word is preached, I pray, God, that our hearts would be open to receive it. That deception would be broken off. And that truth would be established that we live from, God. Not just truth that we listen to and it tickles our ears, but truth that we live from, God. Lord, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we go any further, I want you to look at this, this first block of, of scripture. The lawyer, and we're going, to talk, we're going to touch on that a little later. The lawyer approaches Jesus and he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Everyone say life. life. That word in the Greek, I'm not going to say because I don't pronounce it right. But it's Z-O, and then you can say Z-O-E, Z-O, not zoo, but it means life. It's the same thing. So, hey, thank you once again for someone with the pronunciation. You know, that's where the name Zoe comes from. It comes from this word, and it means life. But not just life, but it literally means a vicarious, full, active, blessed existence. So when this guy comes before Jesus, he says, Teacher, what must I do to have a full, vicarious, active, blessed existence for eternity we all want that right how can i you know how can i live you know there's many people who are alive but not many people that are living right a lot of people who breathe but when you look at their instagrams there's nothing going on you know 
Many of us think that living a full life or living life is about, you know, going on vacation as much as possible. We just came from Chusok vacation for most of us, right? And some people went to the beach. Some people went on the best camping trip ever. (laughs) Hashtag. (laughs) You know, some people went and visited their family. And then for those of us who don't have family, we all just hung out together as expats. (laughs) And we just hung out together and ate Western food because we don't eat Korean food. But yeah. We think that living a a vicarious life is living a life that's filled with thrills, right? Living a life that's filled with a lot of triumphs and victories. And so this guy, he comes before Jesus, he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit this kind of life for eternity? And, And Jesus, he's really smart. He doesn't answer him. He asks him a question. What what does the law say? How do you interpret it? And he answers. He gives him the right answer. Well, that's easy, Jesus. I asked you, but I'm going to tell you the answer. You've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus responds to him. You have answered correctly. Ding, ding, ding. Do this and you will live. See what Jesus says in that moment. If you do this, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength and you love your neighbor. That's life. You do that, you'll live. You do that, that is a a life that is worth living. Loving God with everything in you and loving the person next to you. Not having an active Instagram feed or having all the action popping on Facebook. No, loving God with everything. And that word love is not like an emotion. I know when I first heard that verse and I was single, I was like, man... That love God, love others, that's hard because I'm by myself. How do I do that, God? I always interpreted love as being an emotion that I, when I watch romantic comedies by myself. <laughs> Some of y'all looking at me like that is pathetic. I know. No. What that word love meant was an active pursuit of God. You want to know what life is? You want to know what a vicarious life is? It is pursuing God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. And then also pursuing the well-being of others. Of your neighbor. Do this and you will live. And what Jesus is saying is that the essence of life is love. You got to know that the essence of life is love. The essence of life, a true life that is worth living, is a life that is filled with an active pursuit of God and the well-being of other people. It ain't all about you. But then the lawyer, he's smart, so he answers him. He says, well, well, I got that right. Who's my neighbor? And you know why he says this? He says this because he... He's wanting to find a way to kind of get out of this because my neighbor could mean anyone. You know, in that context, during that time, their neighbor meant their ethnic neighbor. 
It meant their political neighbor. It meant the person standing right next to him. And he was thinking, wait a minute, if loving God and loving my neighbor, I got the loving God part. All of us, I think we all understand the loving God part really well, but it's the loving my neighbor part. Wait, who's my neighbor? And so Jesus goes into this story. Let's look at verses 29 to 37. I want you to look at this with fresh eyes tonight. But he, desiring to justify himself, the lawyer, says to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest, underline the word priest, was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, in the same manner, a Levite, underline Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. <laughs> I was going to say, you ever had that happen to you before? It's, it's happened to me a lot. But anyways, let's continue. <laughs> I'm like, what? I don't even like that purse. Where are you going? I'm like, you know, that thing is coach. It doesn't match my outfit. It's happened to me a lot in America where I walk down the street and someone will cross the street. Anyways. It used to happen to me a lot in Old Navy, which is weird. Now, don't judge me for going in Old Navy. I know I'm going off a tangent, but I used to walk in Old Navy and I'd be like looking at clothes. And all of a sudden, like, there'd be this guy that's like walking behind me. And he's got like the, the connecting and he's just. And then I'd like, what? And he's like, oh. Like, what is going on? Yeah, I like that. He's like, <laughs> and I'm like, what? And he's like, what's going on? I'm like, I turn to him. I'm like, can I help you with anything? He's like, can I help you with anything, sir? I'm like, get away from me. Anyways, I don't know. When I read that, it made me, just now, it made me think of that. Anyways, a priest was going down the road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set on him, he set him on his own animal, brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever you spend... I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Now, the temptation in hearing this story is to just go back, shut off into what we've normally heard about this passage. But I want you to I want to propose something new to you. Maybe this story isn't so much about the good Samaritan at all. Maybe this story was actually about the priest and the Levites inability to seize the moment that was in front of them. I want you to look at this passage with fresh eyes. See, Jesus is no coincidence. Jesus is talking to a lawyer. And historically, I know it says lawyer here and you think, you know, as we would think of a lawyer. But in ancient times, this lawyer was better known as a scribe. We see it refer to that in other places in scripture, a scribe, which meant that his sole job was to write the law. 
And all he did was write the law over and over and over. And he was well versed in the law. People would come to this man to ask him for advice on the law because he wrote it so well. That's why when he approached Jesus, Jesus asked him, well, what do you say the law says? Because this man was an expert in the law. He knew how to do the right thing. He knew what the law was saying. And so then in the story, Jesus refers to two other people. He refers to a priest. Now, a priest, historically, this priest is someone who offers up sacrifices and intercession on behalf of the people in accordance to the law. The priest is someone who gives intercession. That's what he's good at. He's really good at going before God and giving intercession. But the Levite, on the other hand, the Levite was known historically to come from the tribe of Levi. But in the context in this time, this a Levite, the way they served was not as the priest, but rather the assistant to the priest. So the Levite's sword, sole duty was to make sure that the, the temple was clean to open up the gates and close the gates, to make sure the, the sacred spoons were nice and shiny, to make sure the, the ground, like they were like the holy service team. <laughs> like whatever you, wherever church you're from, whatever service team you have, that was a Levite. But then they also were responsible for opening up the doors when people came in. They were like the holy welcoming team. <laughs> and then they also were responsible for singing the hymns in the presence of God, giving praise. You're waiting on me to say praise team. But they weren't just that. They were they encompassed the people who came into the presence of God and offered intercession and praise. That was a priest. That was a Levite. And Jesus talks about these two types of people and how when they saw a man in need, they went to the other side of the road. See, a Samaritan during that time was known to be the lowest form of human being. They were thought of to be even lower than dogs. So for Jesus to talk about a Samaritan that comes and he treats a man's wounds and he goes above and beyond, what Jesus was really saying was that if a Samaritan can love someone outside, why can't a priest or a Levite? I want you to understand where we're going right now. We're headed somewhere. A priest... Someone who's really good at offering intercession. But when he walks outside the walls of the temple and sees someone on the ground, he goes to the other side of the street. A Levite, someone who knows how to praise God, raises their hand and sings the hymns, cleans even the tabernacle. But when they walk outside, they cross the street. And Jesus is very particular in his language. He says, by a chance... Verse 31, now by chance, a priest came walking down the road that when he said by chance in the context, they would have understand the lawyer. He would have understood that if he's saying by chance, a priest came, that meant that the favor of God had manifested through this priest. And likewise, in the same manner, a Levite shows up. He got to be thinking, oh, snap, the Levite's definitely going to do something now. Some of you are thinking, well, he's talking about priests, Levites. What is he getting at? I'm talking about us. Because you can come into the house of God and offer intercession and offer praise and pray and do all of that. But when you walk outside, are you manifesting what you're doing on the inside? 
See, the Levite and the priests were really good at offering the worship and offering the praise and offering the intercession. But when they walked outside, they didn't understand that they were meant to be the manifestation of the very things they were praying for. See, you and I here in this place. When we pray and we worship and we pray, what is happening is that God is forming us on the inside to be the manifestation of the very things we're praying for outside. But they didn't do it. They didn't do it. Why? Why didn't they do it? See, the the scripture doesn't tell us exactly why. It doesn't give us the exact context clues that we can say, this is exactly why. But the priest and the Levite, like the lawyer, they knew the word of God. They knew what it was about to be someone before God. But they had somehow missed the point of it all. And sometimes we can come before God and we can be in the four walls of his tabernacle and yet miss the point of it all. See, they saw this man on the ground and he's bloody and and he's in need, but he's bloody. And as a priest or as a Levite, if they touch this man with his blood, there's a there's a possibility that this blood could get on them. Not only that, but this road was known to be a road with many robbers. So if you went down this road at the wrong time of the day, you were going to get mugged. You were going to get robbed. So I'm sure these men were thinking, if I help him, I'm going to get dirty. And even more, if I help him, what if someone robs me? Now I'm vulnerable. It's like when a fight's breaking out and you don't want to jump in because you're afraid somebody may actually throw a little awkward and hit you, knock you out. That was them. See, what had happened was that they were so caught up in avoiding evil that they missed their opportunity to do good. They were so caught up in avoiding evil. They were so caught up in making sure that they did the right thing that they completely missed the heart of God. See, it's a picture of the religious spirit. See, they were so caught up in staying safe. I just need to get to the temple. They were so caught up in doing, in doing the safe thing that they missed the very opportunity to be the manifestation of everything that they had prayed for. Because all they thought about was being safe and comfortable and not sinning. See, the religious spirit The religious mindset is what keeps us from seizing these moments. The religious spirit is more about avoiding evil than pursuing good. The religious spirit fears loss more than it fears not gaining. I'm going to say that again. Some of you are like, what does that even mean? The religious spirit fears losing what they already have. More than not gaining, than missing out on that opportunity for more people to come in the kingdom. The, the religious spirit 
It's about maintaining the status quo rather than stepping out. I know I'm good with God right now. I know everything's good. But I, if I talk to them, if I step out in that way, if I do this, if I take this chance, what if I fail? So I just won't try it all. The religious spirits based more on not sinning than it is on actually loving God and loving people. And I want to ask you, what is your focus? Is your focus on not sinning? Or is it on loving God and loving people with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? See, the religious spirit is all about not being overcome by evil, but it has nothing to do with overcoming evil with good. So the whole focus all the time is about how I can get myself right and how I can keep myself clean and how I can keep myself safe and how I can take care of me. But it has nothing to do with this person over here who's desperately in need. I mean, we see we see that mindset in the story of the prodigal son. And I was I was reading a book by uh, Ravi Zacharias, Ravi Zacharias, however you pronounce his last name. And he was he said something in that book that really stuck with me. He said. And it's really I've been chewing on it ever since I read it. He said, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if I come before God in heaven and find out that the whole purpose of the story of the prodigal son. Is about the older brother. And how he, he used his, it was his morality that kept him from celebrating the restoration of his younger brother. You know, if you look in the story of the prodigal son, the, the prodigal son gets restored. His heart becomes turned back to the father. The father embraces him, jumps over him, and then throws a party. And then what does the older brother say? The older brother walks up. He's outside, and he doesn't want to go into the father's house because he knows that someone who was a sinner is being restored inside. And he doesn't want to be associated with it. And the father comes out and says, hey, come back into the house. We're having a party. We got some goat. You know you love goat. Come inside. It's on and popping. The servants are like, yo, come on. We, I just got some goat right now. You know what he says? He says, Father, you know I've slaved in your house all this time. I have never disobeyed you. But you've never given me a goat so I can go party with my friends. You notice something? He didn't want to party with the father. He wanted to go party with his friends. The religious spirit is all about God. Let me get what I can get so I can do whatever I want to do with it. And not, God, how can I enjoy this with you? Think about it. What's your mind said? God, why aren't you giving me this? Why? So I can enjoy it for myself. When the father's saying, hey, why don't you come in here? Why don't you come and rejoice? Because your brother just got brought in. His heart just can't know. His focus was, God, can't you see that I have not sinned at all? But he was not anywhere near about loving the father or loving his brother. 
The religious spirit hates risk. It loves to be safe. It completely hates taking risks. I want to focus on this one. I love the story of David and Goliath. You guys like this, like the story of David and Goliath? It's like one of the first stories I ever heard. I heard it before I even knew who Jesus was. I knew who David was. And I love the story of David and Goliath, but. But sometimes I don't like the way it's told. Because, the, you know, David's a young shepherd boy. He's been anointed and, you know, he's he's in the service of Saul. And, and all of a sudden he hears about this massive man named Goliath who is taunting the people of Israel. And David goes out. And the interesting thing is that Goliath is still out there. And Goliath was huge. Historically, they say, like, he was like... Yao Ming, if Yao Ming like worked out like all the time and was like super buff, like a bodybuilder, like he was huge. Everyone was afraid of Goliath. David did not look like Goliath. Okay. David looked like he looked half of me, you know, like he wasn't as big as buff as me, but he was smaller. <laughs> Language of faith. And David, David hears about this. He's bringing food out to his brothers. He hears the taunts of Goliath. And then all of a sudden, there's something. He's asking questions. He's like, hold on, hold on. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine talking smack? Who is that? Who is that big-headed dude? What's he saying? And, and his brothers, what are you doing here? You, you know, we'd like to talk about his brothers as if his brothers were like, you know, the mean ones. Like, you know, David was the youngest David was the smallest. If my little brother came out to a fight, I'd say, go home. What are you doing? I got this. Can't you tell? His brothers were like, David, what are you doing here? You're not going to do anything either. You're the smallest one. David's, and then, no, David, you know, the zeal of the Lord's in him, right? But when we tell the story, we act as, as if David's just like, I got this, I got this. You're going down on search circumstances, Philistine. Let me, let me get my stones. <laughs> I imagine myself in that moment, and I'm not that bold. I'm bold. But can you imagine... We talk about how the story, you know, we, talk, we tell it like Sunday school. He slings it and it goes into his forehead and Goliath falls. And he, I'm sure David was also thinking, what if I miss? You ever thought about that? What if David misses? Like David's like, I got one shot. And if I miss. So, Father, I hope you're here. There was significant risk there. If he missed, it's over for David. I love the story of Jonathan and his armor bearer. He's like, you know what? If the Lord has delivered them into our hands, we're going to run up the hill and slaughter them. And the armor bearer asked, well, what if, what if we're not supposed to go up? Well, then they're going to just come down here and we'll see what happens. There was significant risk. When we read these Bible stories, when we read our Bible, we act as if there's no risk at all. 
We act as if these people are living these supernatural lives without risk. No, every single person that you read about in the Bible had a possibility of getting killed. When Moses goes before Pharaoh. In any other circumstance, without the favor of God, without the supernatural manifestation of God working on Moses' behalf, Pharaoh would have said, get up out my face, kill him right now. But Moses had to take that risk. David had to take that risk. Many of us, we think that the Christian life is a life without risk. No, the Christian life is a life full of risk. The Christian life is nothing without risk. See, risk is what provides the atmosphere for faith. Risk is what provides the room for God to move supernaturally. Now, I'm not talking about you doing something stupid like jumping off a building. Satan brought that before Jesus. He's like, hey, jump off the building then. Go ahead. No, I'm talking about stepping out. In the early church, you see the men and women of God, when they stepped out, when they prayed for people, when they were the manifestation of God's presence outside of the four walls of the church, there was a significant chance in each and every opportunity that God might not show up. But if they would have never stepped out, it would have never happened. And the religious spirit is all about maximizing your safety and minimizing your risk. Because it's all about snuffing out the room for God to move supernaturally. I need you to know that when North Korea opens up, you're going to have to take some risks. That when you see women getting set free from prostitution, you're going to have to take some risks. You may reach out to them 50 times and every single time they deny you, but you're going to still have to take another risk to reach out to them. If not, where's the power? Where does God's presence manifest? See, I'm not talking about reckless abandon. We talk about seizing the moment, seizing the day, taking risks. Actually, you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about just obeying what's in this book. Actually, that's it. I'm not talking about you doing something that is not in this book. If, what if we as a people of God just obeyed what was in here? See, the lawyer, when he, when he talked to Jesus and and he answered him. Jesus said, you're right. You answer correctly. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live that life. And his, his question was, well, what is my neighbor? He had a clear understanding. He was an expert in the scripture. He knew what Jesus was saying. But he said, wait, I need more clarification, God. Wait, can, do, do some things count and some things not? Do I only have to obey some of it? But if we just, what happens if we just obey what's in here? I'm not talking about you getting supernatural revelation and you see angels and demons and then there's, there's dust and there's glory dust and there's all this. Stuff. No, I'm just talking about just obeying what's in here. Just looking at the life of Jesus and saying, you know what? Jesus did it. I can do it. Oh, that person looks scary. You know, Philip reached out to this Ethiopian unit. I'm sure it was scary. Stepping into the house of Cornelius, I'm sure that was kind of scary. 
I'm sure Paul standing before Caesar had to be absolutely terrifying. But they recognized that God doesn't move unless we take some risks. Like I start off saying, we're praying and we're worshiping, we're interceding, but I want you to know it's headed somewhere. The religious spirit would tell you, you pray. Someone else is going to fulfill it, but you pray. And then we leave. And the people we're supposed to be answered prayers to. We get on the other side of the street. What happens? I want you to dream a bit. What happens when we start just obeying the word? What happens when we stop choosing comfort over risk? What happens when we start deciding that we're not going to avoid evil at the cost of pursuing good, but we're going to pursue good even if it means that sometimes we've got to get our hands dirty? What, what do our lives look like then? What do our lives look like when we decide to step out? What do our lives look like when we pray here tonight and then when we leave, we're not just saying that was a good prayer meeting, but we're saying, you know what? Everything that I heard, God is expecting me to manifest in someone's life tonight. See, when they... When the believers gathered together in Acts chapter 4, it says that they were scared to death. They were scared. They had, and they, they, they prayed. They said, Father, consider their threats. They were being, there were threats coming against them. Ain't nobody threatening most of us. Maybe a couple of you, you know, like, you know, there's an ajima down the street that doesn't like you. You know, there's that ajishi who keeps telling you to put your trash in the right place. And he's like, you do that again. Most of us were not being threatened. In that context, none of us really are being threatened. They say, but they say, Father, consider the threats and grant your servants to declare your word with all boldness. As you stretch out your hand to heal and mighty signs and wonders are done in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. See, they prayed and it said that the Holy Spirit came and the place in which they were at was shaken. And then it says they went out. And it says that the church exploded. Pastor Leo is right. It's about living missionally. And it's about seizing that moment. Those moments that God gives us each and every day. Because God's preparing us for North Korea. God's preparing us for China, for India. God's preparing us as his church for his end times purposes. Jesus is coming back. 2025, tribulation. Let's get ready. <laughs> We won't have the faith to do what we need to do then if we don't do what we need to do now. Let's pray together.
I want us to pray right now. You know, I talked about the religious spirit. You know, it's a form of godliness, but denying the power therein. It's, it looks great on the outside, but on the inside, Jesus says there's nothing but tombs and rottenness. And that's what the religious spirit wants for each and every one of us. It wants to turn us into people who on the outside look like everything's going well, but on the inside are rotting away. But Jesus, he does things a little differently. Man looks at the outer appearance, but God, he looks at the heart. And what God wants to do is he wants to put inside of each and every, he wants to awaken in each and every one of us a difference on the inside that manifests on the outside. And I'll tell you what that looks like. That looks like boldness. See, the essence of life is loving. Loving others. Loving God, no matter what the cost. It means pursuing good and not avoiding evil. You know, if you pursue enough good, you won't have to worry about evil. If you live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's a key principle in Scripture that if we just pursue God, He takes care of the rest. But I feel like what God wants us to do is He wants us to pray and cry out for boldness. He wants us to cry out for his spirit to awaken in us a desire to step outside of these walls not to be good lawyers who know the law but who aren't living in it not to be good priests or good levites jesus was trying to tell them look if the samaritan can do this if the Samaritan can take this man and he can, he can cleanse him and heal him and then he brings him into an inn and pays for his stay. The interesting thing is that the Samaritan had to bring him to an inn. The priest and the Levite should have brought him to the house of God. There's so many people that God is calling for us to bring into the house of God, but fear has kept us back. The religious spirit is the spirit of fear. But God desires to give us a spirit of power, of love, and of sound mind. So I want us all right now, just stand to your feet. I'm not going to do an altar call. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to move over each and every one of us.